I I I uh, I did a magic trick. I made Max come to my office. Max, can you describe what you're seeing right now? Yes. Well, I'm in uh, I'm in uh, an undisclosed location. Let's say it's uh, I'm in the Bay Area. Is that too specific? What's that? Well, a little specific. You uh, could just say the Western U.S. Yeah, mm-hmm. West West Coast. Uh, let's see. So it's a uh, it's a it's an office space. Uh, there's sort of a lot of uh, open shelving. You got uh, a little uh, kitchen area over here. Merlin has already given me a packet of. Uh, I got some uh, internet internet ramen. So this is uh, I have a uh, Penang white curry noodle. It's got three flavor packs inside. It's a very fancy ramen. You're going to be developing. You're going to have a lot of flavors unfolding. <laughs> real, I think it's the third pack. Is it a real depth of flavor? Yeah, it's like a holy trinity. Um, and then uh, let's see. We got the uh, the sort of computer computer area here. Now, you know, Merlin is, uh, if you listen to Merlin's other shows, you know that he's into uh, a lot of uh, productivity hacks and uh, organization <laughs> sort of life hacks. So I would say uh, if you've ever seen, if you Google photos of uh, Noling, of uh, <laughs> oh, <yeah. Everything's- laughs> really, really hyper-organized, there's a lot of like mason jars with matching art supplies and office supplies. All the level, all, all, every label is perfectly straight. Mm-hmm. Now we've got, um, so it looks like uh, here we've got all of the uh, Moleskines mm-hmm. on the left. Mm-hmm. And then... Um, the uh, the pile of hipster PDAs and mm-hmm. uh, Mead notebooks, uh, all sort of arrayed by uh, size. Also, I have uh, David Allen tied up in the bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> Copyright 2001. Uh, I don't know. We got, uh, let's see, we got a guitar here. Uh, Max is being kind. No, it looks <laughs> it looks like somebody from Hoarders recently left here. Mm-hmm. I have a lot of children's art on the walls. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> um pictures of kids some of them my own i've got posters there's a uh, dead-eyed dolls mm-hmm. there's I, I like the there's a uh, uh, actually uh, extremely cool like uh, vintage comic book covers yes vintage x-men stuff vintage x-men so uh yeah we're here we're having some nice coffee anyway he's in my office how crazy is that i'm very excited for him are you muting most of the time because you're sick no i'm just leading very far away from the microphone Alex, what's happening with your with your sickness? Is this the same thing you've been sick with for like the last two years? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Basically, I have a very weak immune system and very bad sinuses, and uh, it makes me sound like a muppet sometimes. <laughs> I think you sound adorable. <laughs> so do my cats. Thank you. Mm, I love you. <laughs> oh, you guys! Holy shit! What are we going to do? We, I guess we got to talk about this. Uh, this was not the best week of, uh, of uh, Top Chef. I, uh, I watched it on the, uh, on the plane over, and uh, I, think I, was, I think I was groaning a little bit. I was watching it and just like, like moaning to myself, like, oh, not, not this. And uh, people around me were concerned. I had to start it three times. <laughs> <laughs> I, kept, I kept, kept getting to the... To the the job part with all the magic and i had to just i had to keep taking breaks i for me i um when they because it was uh it was such an unusual episode structure and they got to a point in the episode where they were starting the elimination challenge the one uh with david copperfield and i was like wait this wasn't the whole challenge that we were watching the whole time like i was like it was it was it just dragged on and on forever i mean it was there was a lot about it that was confusing like for one thing uh i mean wouldn't you advise someone to watch this Last Chance Kitchen before the episode? Yeah, no, I think that's... My guess is... I, I have to assume there was some way for people to have seen that Last Chance Kitchen episode uh, before they watched Top Chef on, like, Bravo. So maybe they showed it on Bravo, but for us uh, 
lowly uh, iTunes viewers, they just showed up like in the normal feed after the episode. Yeah. So it wasn't really helpful. Like, why was I watching this whole Last Chance Kitchen the whole season? I guess for this for this Last Chance Kitchen, it's very important that it you not have to watch it to know, you know, for, for the the finale to start. But and the whole thing felt like this this season has been so weird. There's just so much about this episode that was weird and leading up to it was like weird. Off, off kilter. Off kilter. And if it really felt like they hadn't really thought the whole thing out, culminating in these challenges that were just bonkers. They're like total stunts. Like way over designed. Like I think so. There's a lot going on. Merlin, are you a, a Vegas guy? Do you go to do you go to Vegas? I'm not a Vegas guy. I've been to Vegas. I I like Vegas like I like reggae, which is about six minutes. <laughs> I and I do not like Las Vegas. No, I like it fine for a minute. That whole drum machine in the office. It's all right here, hand sampled. It's fine. John talks about going to Vegas all the time. Like I think he has opinions on the on the. Gruber? Oh my God, John Gruber is there. Like he's 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 there a lot. You can tell because there's typos on Daring Fireball. <laughs> he gets to close his markdown brackets up. John's in Vegas or or Disney, but no, you know it's fun. Disney's or uh, Vegas is fun, like Disney. You get there and like you're totally overwhelmed with fun for a while, but like I swear to God, like after about I don't know 36 hours, I am really ready to come home. I did the last time I was in Vegas was for <clears throat> sort of like a professional, like an industry gaming thing. It's actually always it's always this weekend. It's always the same weekend as G, or the same week as GDC. So two years ago. I came out to San Francisco for GDC, and then I had to speak at Gamma, which is the, this like retail show in Vegas for board games. So I got on a plane, flew to Vegas, spoke, came back to San Francisco. So it was like a combination of like how quick that trip was and how tired I was. But that was the I haven't been to Vegas since since I was a kid, and we did like a family vacation there. But that's a city that like the the whole impression of I got of uh, that I got was like this city doesn't want to exist here. Like there's just like there's just like not the right resources for it, and it. Everything is just like standing there in the middle of the desert. Like it's just a weird, it's a weird, like modern abomination of a city. Yeah, but I think that's part of the appeal for people is like there's the whole like what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas idea. This whole idea like this is a place where I'm going to go because I know it's just not right for me to be here. But yeah, I don't know. I get it. I think it's weird. I still think it's weird that they're ending the season in Las Vegas. And I have to imagine it's because a deal was struck with the David Copperfield organization, because this has got to be one of the giantest product placements of all time. I don't think they, I don't think he has that clout. Like, I don't think he has the money. Is is he still such a big deal that like he could afford to basically buy a Top Chef episode? Well, according to the MGMGrand.com website, David Copperfield has more awards than any magician. (laughs) So he's not, he's not sweating it either. Do you think what industry awards? <laughs> oh my goodness! You get uh, oh my god! You get the lifetime effects award. You get the illusion of the century <laughs> award. You get the holy shit! Where did that go award? <laughs> yes, this was my card scholarship. <laughs> the thing is, they keep handing it to keeps disappearing. <laughs> like fuck! Just give me the award. Oh my goodness! Look at him! Look at the oh! There's a meet and greet package you can get. Uh, I know. So in terms of, of how well David Copperfield is doing, I know like comedians who have a long running Vegas show are almost always top the list of like the highest grossing comedians. So I think like uh, who, who's on Vegas shows like Jeff Foxworthy, Jeff Dunham, 
those sort of like more like like middle of America, like like you know stadium stadium. Uh, comedians who can hold down a show in Vegas for years have, have done very well. I definitely see the appeal because if you think about, you know, think about touring, you can make some money touring, but the overhead to that is crazy. And in this case, you know, you, you walk into a casino and there's this usually a fairly modest entrance inside the casino. And then you go into this, all the infrastructure is there. You can live in town. You can be somewhere comfortable. I, I totally see the appeal. I'm just, I'm being that guy again, because like there was just, I guess we'll talk about this. It's just, you know, God, can we just get to the food? Really, the stuff with the cards? I was ready to kill somebody. That whole insane game. Well, should we talk about that? Should we just get into it? I feel like we're going to have a lot to talk about this week. Yeah. Um, all right, so let's see. So it starts, So the episode starts off. Uh, the contestants are in Vegas. You see the, uh, the three winners. Uh, was uh, So Marjorie. Uh, Jeremy. Jeremy. And, and Isaac. Isaac. That's right. Marjorie, Jeremy, and Isaac. They show up at the house. They each have this huge bed in some nice hotel that probably um, they paid them a lot to have the name on there, but I can't remember which one it was. Uh, and they had, like, custom embroidered the pillows with their initials on it, which was pretty, uh, pretty. I thought it was a pretty cool touch. And then the funniest thing was they had this tiny little, like, hot bed <laughs> for one last chance kitchen. It was like a, like a children's bed. Like a little tiny Tim's stool. Yeah, yeah, waiting for them to come back. Um, and then you find out that uh, they get a note to go to the uh, MGM uh, Grand Garden Arena, where Jeremy tells us uh, the MGM Grand Garden Arena has held some of the sickest fights in history. Uh, so that's a, so that's a, a fact, fact to learn about. Thank that. you, Jeremy. Yeah. Uh, and uh, uh, when you get there, they announce that they're going to send the winner of this challenge straight through to the finale, uh, which I like. So normally what they do is they, for, for people who haven't seen Top Chef before, is like, Whoever fucks up the worst, they cut them and they don't get to go to the finale. This time, they're going to have two sort of battles, and the winner of each battle gets to go to the I finale. think that's an interesting idea. I like it. I, to me, it's like at this stage of the competition when there's four people left, it's like just take the top performing people. Don't don't just like punish the people who happen to you know, make some calamitous, you know, one single calamitous mistake. Um, so then they, uh, let's see, then they bring out the uh, winner of Last Chance Kitchen, which uh, is, uh, we find out, is Amar, uh, which I was pretty happy with. I like Amar. Mm-hmm. I felt like he had a good story, sort of good, good personal and professional like story arc this season. I just like the guy. I don't know. Yeah, he really, he really grew on me. Um, let's see. So I don't know if you know this, but his mentor uh, had ALS. That's t- that's very. <laughs> yeah, it's extremely brave. Very brave. It's a very brave episode. Um, well, you know, you don't just want to win these things for yourself. You gotta, we you win them. You got to win them for your uh, mentor. If you haven't picked a decedent to win it for, you're really, you're not in it to win it. For your kids. For the dead. Or the kids. Well, I'm here spending a month away from my uh, newborn child, but this is really, it's for them. I'll make sure she read book. (laughs) (laughs) She read book, she read book good, not loser. Oh, boy. If if you look back at, like, all the Top Chef uh, winners, really, uh, only Nick had a family. Most of them just were really hard workers, and they didn't have, like... I mean, some of them had the sad, like, I'm divorced and had a kid. Uh, yeah. But, yeah, no, most most of them don't seem like really high-functioning humans. <laughs> <laughs> Daddy's going to be away for a while. It's for his career or whatever. <laughs> Daddy's going to talk into his phone like it's a pizza and you need to act like you love him. I'll be checking on you. Read book. 
that would be quite the, uh, that'd be quite the surprise to your family, Marlon. If you just uh, you were like, hey, I gotta go for uh, uh, two months. Uh, I gotta go. Uh, yeah. So hey, crazy. Uh, hey, yeah, yeah, crazy day. A uh, couple quick things. Uh, g- good news. Uh, gonna be on TV. Um, I guess also good news. I'm gonna be away for I don't know how long. It's gonna be nuts. Hmm. Mm. And there's a chance that if I don't uh, publicly humiliate myself in front of uh, all of America on uh, this uh, 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 crazily edited reality show, that uh, I may win a modest cash prize. <laughs> <laughs> now, just I want to just put a pin in this, Alex. I don't know if you saw this in the show notes, but I definitely want to talk about the Mental Floss article called 15 Delicious Facts About Top Chef." We don't have to talk about it now, but I think we should come back to that. Okay. Uh, let's, we, the next thing we're going to do is get into this crazy card game. So let's do it. <sighs> Uh, oh no that's okay i just wanted to mention i i had to call this to your attention there's several interesting things one of my favorites uh fact number five about top chef uh elon hall's first restaurant closed within one week of opening did you know that no even with a terrible dessert he won season two went on to open his own restaurant the gorbles the gorbles Wait a minute. The Gorbals closed within a week. The, of the Gorbals closed within a week of opening. No, that's not accurate because I've been to the Gorbals over several years. Closed down by the health department due to a faulty water heater. The restaurant reopened a couple months later and re- remained open until 2014. I, the Gorbals is uh, in uh, downtown LA. So if you're ever unfortunate enough to be in downtown LA for like a convention or something, the Gorbals is actually a great, great, great place to eat. Sounds terrific. No, number seven, there have been 9,316 product placements. <laughs> I don't know if that's an exact number. I have not vetted that. There's no way I could look that up. My favorite, though, is number 10. There's a reason Padma sounds like a robot. Did you, did you know about this, Alex? Why she no. talks like that? Why she sounds like she's, she's been uh, sparking doobies? And that's I... because it says here, because she, uh, she, they sent it to her through the earpiece. So I she's always... got to like... Yeah, I always thought it was like a teleprompter off screen. That's interesting, though. Yeah. I don't know. I just thought this was very interesting. Calicchio says Paul Paul Quee, mm-hmm. remember him, is the most talented chef they've ever had. Yeah, I think did he win that season. I don't remember him at all. Uh, I think Paul won his season, but uh, I think that was one of the ones where they talked about they had to edit in false suspense into that season because it was like clear from the beginning that this guy was going to run. Was totally going to tear it up. Wonder what? Who's the host of uh, Top Dress? I can't, I can't remember her name. The model Heidi Klum. Heidi Klum. Sixteen designers. She she sounds very robotic to me. A combination of her accent and saying the same thing. Ever. You know what it is? It's that she says this in, in Top Dress. Get that edit way more where it's like they say the thing before the commercial break, then they say it for the promo of what's going to happen coming back, and then they come back and they say it a third time. So yes. You end up hearing like the same clip from her like four times in a row if you just watch the the iTunes. that's too many times to hear that clip yeah yeah she, she winds up sounding like the voice on on like a cell phone app well we talked about this a lot but also there's that weird adr thing they do where i my suspicion is they have to leave lots of options for things to change or get settled like for example they might mm-hmm. know that the hidden valley ranch family of dressings is interested in uh sponsoring stuff but they may not know the extent of it how much the prize will be where that will go and so you hear these weird drop-offs like in the middle of a sentence you know oh, or right. like yeah at the, end, at the end of the season our contestants will head to the historic mgm grand garden arena <laughs> <laughs> for a grand prize of twenty five thousand dollars <laughs> yeah, oh. furnished by family of products 
<laughs> that's not awkward. <clears throat> anyway, I put that in show notes. We can uh, we can point our readers to that too. Because because like I say, I heard Padma on the NPR and she sounded delightful. Yeah. She sounded really really smart and engaged. What and you know where she really shines is when she's like at at the event interacting with the chefs and quipping back and forth with them. Like she always has a, a really funny comment or something. Yeah, so. very charismatic. So let's see. The, <sighs> cards. Yeah, I guess it was like kind of the, the quick fire <clears throat> challenge this week. Um, they basically uh, introduced this game. So Padma set comes out and she says, uh, as everyone knows, the four suits of cards are based on the spades are for royalty, the hearts are for clergy, the diamonds are for merchants, and the clubs are for peasants. I have never heard this in my life. Never. This feels to me like something that a, some producer read on like a sample cap or like one of those bathroom. <laughs> you know, they like went to the bathroom at someone's house and they flipped open the bathroom reader thing. Right. Like, oh, would you look at that? Yeah, like, Grandpa got in a Christmas popper. <laughs> this is an interesting fact here. <laughs> yeah, I never heard that in my life, but it was it was passed off as though it was like common knowledge. Which, uh, by the, do you know the Snapple cat? Are you a Snapple guy? Uh, I have been a Snapple guy. I've, I, I, one time, so I'd had about a year of really enjoying that iced tea that they have. Mm-hmm. And then I looked at the label. Mm-hmm. Turns out more sugar than a Coke. <laughs> my, uh, when my, when I was a kid, my parents quit smoking and they replaced, uh, the smoking habit with drinking diet raspberry Snapple. Mm. So, which was great as a kid because there was always <laughs> diet raspberry Snapple in the house. And as a kid, I just had, uh, thousands of diet raspberry Snapples. And I would commit to – there was the promotion they were running at the time, which was the Snapple Facts. Do you remember that? I think I do. And it was in the lid. The... You pop open the lid, and then you got to hit it on the bottom with your fist. Do you know that? No. A Snapple hack. A Snapple hack. <laughs> yeah, you hit it on the bottom. It pops open, and then you can twist it off really easy. <laughs> wow, ladies. Yeah. So no no read no re- – tip of the week. <laughs> so – open the cap and then inside there's a fact and when i was a kid i memorized a lot of these facts so one of them was that i'll I'll never forget is a duck's quack doesn't echo and i didn't you don't think of it because you read a fact on the inside of a sample you just blew my mind is that really true what it said in the sample cap so one day i was i was with uh josh from cards he's a physicist and we were talking about some acoustic something or another and i was like josh you know a duck's quack doesn't echo and he took one bean he's like that can't be true and i was like it's true i it's a fact and he we looked it up He's like, that would defy the laws of physics if there was some, you know, animal that, that had a noise, some sound that, that like wouldn't echo is not possible. If it doesn't work on a duck, it's not physics. It's, it, it's got to be, it's got to work on all the waterfall or uh, our understanding of physics is very flawed. So we went to look this thing up and it turns out one of the top results for a duck's quack doesn't echo is that. This was a Snapple fact, and what Snapple called Snapple Facts was actually a promotion called Snapple Fact or Fiction, where you would read oh. these caps into some of it was like two truths and a lie. Some of them were true, but some of them uh, were false. See, is this the Snopes for this? Yeah, ducking the question. Does, Here it is. Does it excite <clears throat> the Snapple cap? Anyway, I just felt like I've, I've been lied to my entire life. Now I question everything I know, because I'm like, was this a Snapple Fact or Fiction? Oh my goodness, that, that's a terrible thing to do to a child. Mm-hmm. I also did, my first grade teacher taught me, do you know the greater than and less than symbols, the, the little alligator? The alligator eats the bigger bite? She taught me that the alligator always eats the smaller number because it can get its mouth around it. No. And we did all our homework that way. And at one point, I think one of my parents was like, yeah, I'm not sure about that. That's not a good heuristic, Max. <laughs> so to this day, whenever I see the symbol, I have to stop and I'm, and I'm like, Wait a minute, does it eat the big one or the little one? <laughs> That's terrible. 
<sighs> so they got decks of cards. And okay, so this had like double le- levels of stupid to it. For the, you know, it's one thing to say there's an element of randomness and everybody gets, you know, mostly kind of the same sort of thing. But this one's really screwed up. So you got four suits of cards, right? You got uh, spades are royalty. Uh, you got uh, hearts are clergy. Yeah? This is good. Diamonds are merchants. Keep going. Uh, clubs are for peasants. Damn. Yeah. Just was I reading anything when I did that? No, it's all all no, out. Of... We had, we were maintaining perfect eye contact. Yep, that's a card card hack. Yeah. Uh, okay, so that's fine. Okay, that alone is stupid because obviously somebody's going to get better food. So if you get spades, obviously you're going to get all the best stuff. You get peasant stuff. You're going to make what they call rustic dishes. But the stupid didn't stop there because then if you are, let me get this right. If you, which by the way, I have one thing before we go into yeah. the next crazy twist, which was if you, if you pause, so I paused for a second on each of the shelves as they showed them. So you can get like a big look at all the, the different shelves, but the uh, shelf that was like ostensibly for royalty. Did you see some of the ingredients they had? No. What was it? What they described as the quote unquote <laughs> finest ingredients. It was a uh, stone brewing beer, which I guarantee you paid to be on the royalty shelf and like bottles of <laughs> Sriracha. Like it, I mean, it was not to say that that was bad, but it wasn't, you know, it wasn't like foie gras. It was just like it was other. It was like a different bottled condiment. It wasn't that you know they had access to trade routes that brought them stuff from the, from the from the far east. Right. It's they got like they got microbrews. Right. Yeah. Divine right of uh, mass produced uh, microbrews. What do they call it? Kristallnacht? What's it called? The first night, uh, prima 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 brewer. You get the you get your pick of the first beer. That's that's the uh, that's the that's from uh, Braveheart. Braveheart. That's right. Yeah. How you doing, Alex? I'm still trying to figure out if the card thing is true, and I can't find anything. I think they just made it up, and it's making me so mad. Go, please, uh, call in with uh, listener feedback, and please tell us how to be uh, the playing card. Don't hold anything back. Yeah. If there's anything that we're missing or got wrong, please don't hold anything back. Uh, please email us at uh, tips at uh, <laughs> <laughs> 123any Street, No Town USA. I got, uh, wait a minute, I got an amazing app I have to tell you about. Oh my God, you got one of those battery things. I do, I have the hump. Do you like it? For conventions. Nice. Very nice. Oh, I, I have the, I, see, I call it the pregnant case. It's pregnant with power. Yeah, well. <laughs> That's so cool. It, it, it's not as big as I expected. Okay. I got a, a great app. It is called No More Voicemail. And it's a little app. You download from the app store. And it tells you, you hit, uh, you hit a, a thing to get started. It gives you a crazy sequence of numbers and digits to punch into your, to the official phone application. And then you call this series of digits, and it completely disables your voicemail. So when <laughs> someone calls you, your phone rings uh, indefinitely. Oh my God! What and then, I... and then you can it gives you another string of numbers to punch in if you want to undo it. It feels like those like um, you know the Cracker Jack box whistling to the phone company. Well, that's what it is. Well, do you know there's there's tons of those codes. There's one that you can do that I did on mine that will uh, I undid it at one point. I think when I got my new phone, I haven't redone it. But there's all these secret codes you can punch in. For example, to make in my case my AT and T uh, line, my voicemail automatically go to Google Voice. You can do that? Yeah, there's tons of like secret codes. Wow. Yeah. That's so going to Google Voice is even better than disabling voicemail. Yeah, because then you get you get a laugh out of it too. Right, you get to hear I am, I I am dentist Wayne Scotting, love head on face. Well, the one the one that I got that got me to finally disable this is uh, I've been getting these weekly and sometimes daily calls from my local Google rep 
Oh Mark. God, yes. Oh my God, uh, yes. Uh, and then I mentioned it on Twitter, and a lot of people are getting these. It must be, it must be a crazy like one of these, um, you know, like uh, make money from home scams. That oh, like interesting. Applicable uh, amount on people. I get a lot of things about a mortgage that I don't have or a credit card that I don't have. Yeah, I get a lot of that too. I get, uh, I get uh, calls from someone saying we're we need to talk about like an outstanding balance on a service that I don't use or something like that. Um, I don't know how your cell phone number gets out. I assume I signed up for something at some point and it got sold or something. It gets out there, but then it's so great because my first impulse is always to go search for the phone number, to Google for the phone number, and it's I just I love reading the web pages where people have comments. <laughs> Total ripoff. They're trying to impersonate my bank. It's just like these chemtrails people leaving these messages. I'm going to find those uh, special codes and I'll put them in notes. Okay. Ooh, that's a good one. Find the one for Google Voice. I think that that might even be better than this app. But this app, for people who are interested, it's called uh, No No More Voicemail. And and the icon looks like a little QO. Finally, technology is on my side. So they're going to randomly – oh, but then should we get to the good part? The what, stu- what good part? So as everyone knows, the card suits represent different uh, castes of society. Everybody knows that. But the uh, the crazy twist for this challenge is that every caste can steal from the the lower castes. So royalty can take food off of everyone's shelves. Clergy can take food off of merchants and peasants and so on and so forth. Um, But peasants peasants are just stuck with peasant. The peasants are stuck with peasant food. And uh, let's see here. Uh, Isaac, uh, says, uh, oh, it's so ironic that he's the clergy because he's an atheist. That was, uh, somehow, somehow all fit together for me. I was like, yeah, it makes sense. Yeah. seems like a guy who would have a lot of uh, opinions about atheism online. <laughs> uh, they're great. Please email all the tips at topscalps. <laughs> Did you watch the season of top dress with Fade, the guy from Germany? Fade. He had, he had little glasses and he always would have a t-shirt or a necklace that said atheist. <laughs> Really? Fed. He had a little hat and these glasses like this. It was with little circles. And he always would have like a necklace or perhaps a shot was an atheist. Well, I would love a little necklace that had all of my political beliefs on it. <laughs> be so, he's so handy. I get so sick of, of, of like having to actually browbeat people with my voice. If only my jewelry could telegraph what no one else cares about. Do you remember, do you remember uh, like that thing at conventions where when you're wearing your name badge and someone tries, they come up to you and they're really, they're trying to make an effort to say hi, but you're watching their eyes flicker back and forth between you and your badge and then trying to do that calculus of whether they should talk to you or not. Based is this a person that, that, that like like knows who you are or somebody who's just trying to like network you Someone up? Someone who's trying to make oh. a piece of paper. Oh, it's the worst. And they, they're trying to make, do that math of like, do I do I engage with this person or not? I keep mine turned around. I put uh, I put my name, but then I just put, for all the badge information, I just put self-employed. So <laughs> <laughs> I have to figure out if to do a little bit of work. I'm tempted to just turn around and just have a picture of, of April Ludgate glaring on the other side. <laughs> No help from this badge. I wore this to my funeral. <laughs> um, so off they go. They're going to go cook. they got to do a cook for 150 people in three hours. Uh, I do not uh, envy that, but they get uh, some help. So they bring out uh, Karen, Philip, Carl, and Kwame for the last four uh, eliminated chefs. That was fun. Do you think that the producers kept Philip around for as long as they did? Not only because he was so fun to watch the first, you know, he was in the show on his episodes, but also because they knew that if he was the fourth person eliminated, that he would be in on all of these episodes. Oh, that had not occurred to me. Because they keep getting to bring Philip back. He's he's very memorable. Like on a, on a season that's sort of light on on memorable dinglings, he he they really keep going back to that well. Yeah, right. And and we did not get a sort of 
comical Philip moment. Like he really seems to have pulled it together since the, the break. Well, it doesn't, I guess, help or hurt. I mean, everybody was pretty competent this season. There was there were not that many people that just didn't know what they were doing. And I, you know, I like that. I don't know. What do you think, Alex? Do you think I know you're a big fan of Philip? You enjoyed his work and like to see his influence over the show. You think they kept him around for that reason? Uh, I mean, they all come back because uh, if you watch the. Um what is it next time on top chef like clearly they're all going to come back for some big uh it seemed like they had streamers or balloons happening or something uh but i think this season something must have gone terribly wrong like it, it everyone's just so boring and they're like all right we need to make someone the villain and he does i mean the the other contestants seem to genuinely not like him so that helps but yeah oh, philip that's def- that definitely emerged yeah I feel like uh, they're somehow going to work him into the finale, finale, and they always try to have uh, someone, you know, f- uh, fuck up really badly. Like um, Grayson's dish was fucked up by another uh, contestant, I think, at one point, and that was like her. her the season was supposed to be her comeback, and like she was going to cook her own food. Um, so I wonder what kind of drama they're going to engineer. Right, right. What, what is that? that you're hearing? Oh, that's the streetcar going by. <laughs> you don't usually hear that? No. Oh. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, because I'm a professional podcaster. I decided that I would get an office mm-hmm. by a place where a multi-ton Italian streetcar goes by about every 10 minutes. <laughs> mank, mank. San Francisco. Ding, ding. I heard the mini bike the one time, but I don't hear the I don't hear the... Do you hear the streetcar on Marlon's podcast, Alex? Yeah, I edit it out. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you hear it on our podcast. Yeah. Okay. By the time we can, because we can press this thing down to like 96 kilobytes per second, so it's like, yeah, I don't hear anything. Yeah. Well, uh, Max got a little uh, peek behind the curtain, got to see the editing work that I do on Roderick on the Line for today. Sense of you should see. Yeah, yeah I, I pick an end and a beginning. <laughs> I should send a screenshot it, to it Alex. Really, it really is one long audio file. <laughs> like, I, so I'll tell you what's amazing to me. Um, uh, the really the most amazing thing is like it's so you, you, I mean especially Roderick on the line is so funny and it's so tight and you and John never talk over each other you never you have such a good back and forth and it's so well paced I've always and so the conversation has such a good like like movement to it I've always assumed that you edit it together into a coherent structure yeah that's a lot of work yeah and when I see what people do when I look at like what, what Jason Snell does with uh, The Incomparable mm-hmm. It's just, it's staggering. I mean, I will budget. So, so my podcast I do with, with Pat Rothfuss, um, I'll budget. We'll record for an hour and a half, and then I'll budget three or four hours to edit that down in 45 minutes. <laughs> and that's a podcast with no sponsors. <sighs> oh, you guys are awesome. Um, but I'm, it's because I'm scared of, like, I don't want to, I don't know, I don't want it to be boring. Yeah. And I don't want, I don't want people to listen to it and be like, uh, uh, I don't know, I don't, want to, I don't want people to realize what an idiot I am. <laughs> Yeah, I don't want that either. But uh, my problem is it's a little bit like cutting your own hair. Like, first of all, you probably shouldn't (laughs) cut your own hair. Right. But my problem is in the times that I've ever tried to cut my own hair. One time I said, hey, you know, uh, since I'm uh, kind of a punk rocker, I should get a little bit of a punk rock haircut. And so I started off with uh, being very punk rock. So I just cut off my sideburns a little bit. So mostly I looked like a mental patient and I thought that's cool. Maybe I should go a little, a little higher to the world's most conservative Mohawk. So 
go up to the sides a little bit. I'm thinking, oh, maybe I'll be like somebody in Thrasher magazine <laughs> and I'll go a little bit higher up. So basically three times a day, I would go and cut my hair a little bit more and shave it a little higher. And I just looked increasingly more mental. I might as well just shave it off my eyebrows. I mean, but this level of, <laughs> of professional execution. Right now, um, I'll, you don't get that. Max, Max that's is looking. That's what you go to an industry professional I have a, a repeating reminder in OmniFocus to get my haircut that was due on January 17th. <laughs> <laughs> what kind of product would you say this year? There we go. It, uh, pro, pro started on January 13th, due on January 17th. Wow, OmniFocus is crazy. What's happening in here? You want to? I'll give you a tutorial. Should we do it on the air? Yeah, I think this is really interesting for our listeners. Uh, <sighs> boy, uh, everything in Merlin's office. I mean, it's just a. Uh, uh, it's just one. Uh, a lot of questions. One amazing. It's one one amazing sort of um, uh, productivity uh, hack and uh, tech after after another. I mean, we've got. This, okay, give me another one. What's another one that's curious to you? Know, we've got this old Mac Pro on the floor. It's here. got a little dust on it. I don't know if you. And sort of what I would describe as a trail of goldfish crackers coming out of it. Now, those performance in some way does that sort of. You know, is that overclocking? Is that a way of like? That's overclocking. Yeah, exactly. You you uh yeah no that's um. <clears throat> That's a computer. You can open up. Uh, the... Got a, 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 a Remy on there. Let me see. A Remy sticker. Oh yeah, I got a Remy sticker. I got some goldfish. A little bit of dust. I got a. It was in 2006. That was a good computer. Yeah. I used it up until this last fall. So. And now we've got the uh, the iMac, the new iMac. I like this a lot. It's a it's a handy. Anything else? Oh, here we go. I, I stole the. I stole the door off my mailbox from college. <laughs> really? There's that. Yep. Wow. Here's a here's a salt shaker. Mr. Merle Man. Yeah, Merle Man. Yeah, yeah, and a U2 sticker. Got a little Bob Dobson on here. We got a little Bob Dobbs. Got it all. Oh yeah, yeah, took it off. Bob Dobbs. Bob Dobbs. Robert Bob Dobbs. That's right. J.R. Bob Dobbs. That's right. We'll do anything to avoid talking about this. I'm just saying, if you're gonna pick one trick, pick one trick. You know, those of you who want to be humorous, let me just give you the greatest trick: make one joke at a time. Until you get good enough to know when to make a second or a one and a half joke. Uh, That's a pro level thing. In this case, the, the two dumb twists is too much twist. We talk about this at, at, at Cards and Humanity when we're doing writing all the time. Our impulse is when we come up with something that's funny to do what we call joking it up. Meaning like you take an idea and then you like write it. You like keep adding to it and keep writing, uh, adding stuff to it and overwriting it. And at some point it becomes like uh, like the joke that we always go to is like you, you, you begin, you, you talk like a police officer where you're like, uh, well, this particular individual was uh, <laughs> obtaining ingress to uh, the vehicle. It's like, you know, you get a little bit of that uh, idiocracy, like like police talk. Right. Yeah. What do we What do we have here? Oh, uh, this is uh, who told me about Matt Fraction told me about this. Uh, this is actually when, when uh, Bill Hader was on Seth Meyers one time. This is a lot of you will know this, but it's, it's so great I have to share it anyway. He was on and talking about when Seth Meyers was the head writer. And basically saying, you know, because I guess Bill had written some stuff. And so he'd written this thing that he thought was really, really funny. And Seth Meyers was like, yeah, this is pretty good. But like, I tone it down, simplify a little bit. Because it, it's a joke that involved like a celebrity impersonation, like and a twist to it. And and Seth Meyers goes, yeah, you know, you're kind of putting a hat on a hat. You ever heard this line? <laughs> no, I love this. Put a little bit of a hat on a hat. Yeah. And he goes, oh, no, no, you will see. He says, OK, sure. No problem. And uh, it ran. It was the first thing he'd written that went on the air, and it it didn't make it past dress. 
It wow. completely bombed. Bill Hader is covered with shame. He's walking through the hallway. Bill Hader then <laughs> impersonates Seth Meyers' gesture of putting a hat on top of a hat. He sees him in the hallway like, huh? Hat, oh, hat no. on a hat. That's what you're doing. You got to make one joke at a time. Oh, I love that. Hat on a hat. This is, this is, I'm going to introduce this to the uh, the cards uh, the cards guys. I'll put the video. Don't put a hat on a hat. I'll put the put it into the notes. <laughs> yeah. What was the What was the recent example? We were uh, we're trying, we we're actually setting up our the first time in uh, in cards. We're sort of like it's a combination of how burnt out we are after after like the frantic writing of this game for like five years and also just like the amount of new stuff we want to do. We're starting to bring in outside writers for the first time. That must be interesting. Very interesting. So we have at this we're very lucky to be in Chicago where there's like the world's largest surplus of comedy performers and comedy writers. Because because of Second City. Second City Improv Olympic uh, Annoyance Theater. I mean, this is where everyone in comedy comes through Chicago and and uh, gets their start there for the most part. So a lot of incredibly talented, funny people who are, who are really looking for, it's very hard to find work, paying work in comedy. So uh, we're lucky to have that sort of resource. So we brought in a bunch of um, really funny comedy writers. And we're sort of trying to work with them to get like a second writer's room going so they can write some jokes. And we just went through this. So like we had, we wanted to do this joke about um, Bernie Sanders uh, <laughs> returning a piece of fruit out to the grocery <laughs> store and, you know, demanding, uh, demanding justice. And I think we started writing like Bernie Sanders, like taking a day off of the campaign to like angrily demand, you know, economic justice for his piece of bad produce. And it just got like it got so overwritten. That was like the perfect example of like this was a lot funnier if it's just Bernie Sanders, you know, demand angrily. Dem- oh, no, it's Bernie Sanders demanding store credit for a piece of fruit, for a piece of bad fruit. Have you ever seen Stuart Lee? Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm kind of obsessed with this guy. He's this uh, <clears throat> English uh, comedian who's. Kind of a, I guess, a little bit of a meta comic, and I, that's usually like the sign of total uh, annoyingness. But he's very, very funny. His 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 bits are funny. He's, but he's also really good at his whole bit is about the act in some ways, but not in the way that you'd expect. And he does a turn and a twist and a turn. But like he's great. Like the thing is though, it'll be two different jokes. There's a joke and then the joke about the joke. Like the first, but the first joke completely sets up the second joke. It isn't where you just like riff about seven things in a row and hope that they're all funny. You know what I mean? That's that's the t- hard part. Now, is, can I ask you a question? Yes. How's it going, Alex? I'm looking. Are, are you using GarageBand 5? <laughs> I have just sent Alex a screenshot, <laughs> a screenshot of the editing wonder that is Roderick on the line. <laughs> this is, you like this that? Is... You like those? You like those bevels and drop shadows? Oh, this this is magical. All right. Yeah. Yeah. You can see I, I did a cut there at the end. Yep. <clears throat> so you know it's over. <laughs> See, I named all my swim lanes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's what I do for a living. <laughs> I'm curious, though, because I'm guessing that yours is a company that has a certain culture and feel to it. Mm-hmm. Is it weird to bring in new people? How do you how do you acclimate them to like what the thing is? Well, I would say I, this is something I have, I have a lot of opinions about, but I would say every group of people and every company and every organization has a certain culture, whether it's acknowledged or made explicit or not. Um, and I think for us, we're still sort of figuring out what ours is. Like, I know some, I could tell you some of the good things about our culture are everyone who works in the organization is funny. Like, we only hire people who are funny in some capacity. In fact, I think you know um, uh, from the uh, the good old uh, uh, favored uh, uh, days, you know uh, Henry uh, Birdseye. I saw him mentioned somewhere. Does he work for you? Henry works for us. He's our uh, lead uh, UX designer. What? We, yeah, so we've been so happy. I thought he just made fake headlines on web pages. No, no, Henry is Henry is uh, uh, we met so I know Henry the same way I know you, which is back in the in the, the old days of remember favorite? Serving serving time in Nam. 
Yeah, yeah, right. Uh, I remember the the yeah, days the of Favard. Of, uh, Favard yeah. I did not watch my buddies die face down in the shit for you to not get a star for that. <laughs> yeah, uh, but that was how I found uh, that was how I found all the cool people online, and Henry was one of them. Very funny guy, and we needed a UX designer, and he was working sort of a corporate job. And I was like, this is you know, I was like, well, there's a lot of people who can do UX and are good at that, but Henry's the guy who can do it, and he's really funny. So we've made a big effort to just hire funny people who understand what we're about in in all aspects of our presentation and like sometimes henry will write a piece of copy that goes on a button on the website that's really funny because that's his his skill set um so that's a big piece of the culture and i think the thing we're trying to do with the writers where i'd say there's some like weird sort of friction of trying to work this in is like we explicitly made the writer's room not of people who already work for cards so it's all new people who this is the first project we've we've done together as cards because I, you know, we already have a voice with, with Cards Against Humanity. Like, we already are in such a mind meld of, like, this is what how we write the game. This is what it's about. This is the voice. This is what we think is funny. We, we actually really, we're kind of, I think we, we, we want to break out of that. And we want to be like, well, what's next? Like, how do we, like, rip this up and do a new thing that, that moves us forward? And we felt like bringing in a completely new group of new people uh, is, is the way to do that. So I think that's also a little weird of like, I think a lot of people in the company are like, well, we're here. Like, why don't we do the writer's room of, of people at the company? So we're, we're, that, that's sort of, I'd say that's like sort of the strangest piece of, about it. I, I feel like for the cards guys, like where we are as writers, like we recently wrote the card, a man with the body of a dog and also the head of a dog. And that is, that is so weird. That's the perfect example. Of, that's the only thing that like gets us high now is like, it's like, there's like the weirdest, we're already like, we're already like acclimated to all the normal j- jokes and all the normal drugs. And now we just need the weird stuff. Oh, so that's what I live for. To get us feeling something. Yeah. Do you think it'll change the, so you want to bring in these new voices, these are people who are familiar with the, the, the yeah, game and the approach and the voice, but how, do you think that will have an effect on the culture of the company too? Like how much are you open to how that changes how you work as well? Uh, I don't know. I mean, I don't want, I don't want anything to change. Everything's great right now. So we're very conservative. We don't want any change. Uh, so I think the, the way the new writers are, no one's full time. It's all, they're all sort of like a part-time uh, contractors helping us out with this project. And then, you know, at the end of the day, like we're still going to make the editorial decision of what goes in the game and not, and, and all the people doing their jobs are still going to be doing the things they're doing. So we'll still have that like top level, like editorial direction of like, here's where we're going. So I hope it's not, I hope it's not too big of a change. I don't know. Hard to tell. Sometimes, I think it's a neat idea. Sometimes, I don't know. It's like, I think anytime something is going well, it's like any change is scary, whether it's good or bad. And then the, then the problem is, if you're 10 years in, you're like, oh, we haven't changed in five years, and the world passed us by. And you can't help but become conservative. As you get older, or however you want to look at it, you tend to just think, you know, <clears throat> there's no good surprises. And, and the change, change tends to be something that just needs to be managed at a certain point. But it's, I think it's... Um, I think sometimes it's it's useful to be open to the idea. Well, let me put it this way: this may not be true where you are, but in a lot of places, I think the tendency is how do we get somebody in there and bend them into our idea of how we think we work? Hmm. And I mean, I mean both of those parts of that because a lot of times you don't really work the way you think you work, and so you end up spouting a bunch of bullshit. These people realize it. You know, I think it's frequently about bending them to your will. And I, I don't know, I'm always interested in the idea of like when you add somebody to the team, like if I were somebody who had a job and was interviewing people, you know, I would be I would be asking them a lot about not just like, what do you think you'll bring to the team? But like kind of meaning that like actually like what what do you what have you done previously at places that where you've learned something and people have learned something from you? Yeah, I don't know. I but you don't really know until you're in a room together. 
well, I mean, Alex probably, to be honest, I'm, I'm arguably the worst person to ask about this because I'm at the top of the organization. So all of the worst parts of the culture, I don't see them or have to deal with Say them. nothing. Say nothing, Alex. No, no. I, but I mean, I don't know. I'm curious what Alex thinks about that. Like, cause I know there's, I know there's, there's like, I'll, so I'll say one, one thing I'm curious, I'm curious what Alex thinks about this, but like, I think one of the big issues of our company is for almost, so I, I kind of do a lot of the day to day, like management stuff. I have never been in a management position. I've never worked for a real company in my life. And I think almost everyone at Cards, including Alex, this is their first job. So we hire people right out of college. Wow. Or they were self-employed or something like that. But not a lot of people have like what I would say is like traditional work experience. So you're kind of like a funny cult. A little bit. You take, you take young, <laughs> young, impressionable young people who yeah. don't know better and teach them this is normal. Well, but it's like, I don't know. How do you find, like we don't put out like listings usually. We like look at, we try and recruit people who are like, we really like this person's work or like, I think I met Alex because through gaming events and stuff, and I really liked her work as like a film producer. So I think that's how we how we wound up um, uh, hiring Alex. But like, so I know like one of the things is like there's a lot of for all of the like casualness of our company that's nice of like people get to show up when they want and people have a lot of autonomy over what they do every day. There's also a lot of confusion of like people don't necessarily know who their boss is. They don't really. I think people show up and it's hard for them to decide what to do every day. I think that's like the dark side of that. And it, it doesn't feel particularly like stable to people, even though we're not going anywhere. I'm curious, Alex, what do you what do you make of all that? Well, as you know, uh, I wake up every day and think I'm going to be fired because that's the kind of human I am. Um, Fortunately, now that uh, we actually do have the uh, distance of this remote recording, I do have some uh, difficult news to share with you. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> no, I I think well. This this is my first real real job. Like I I was just freelancing in college, so like this has more structure for me than a- anything I've ever had. Uh, so it's it's really nice because uh, I I do know who my boss is most of the time. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's extremely clear sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> People people ask all the time what it's like to to work here, and I I don't really know what to say. It's you're surrounded by really smart, talented people who work hard all the time, uh, and we all do really different things. Um, yeah, I I don't know because there's like I I'm part of the the events department, um, which is super super different than like what cards a lot of things cards is known for, like writing really funny emails. Uh, so I guess it's it's strange because we all do very very different things, but we're all kind of tight knit and yeah, that doesn't answer your question at all. I don't remember what it was. Hmm. Well, there there will be a guy uh, coming to your uh, desk with a uh, banker's box. Please just hand hand them your key fob. <laughs> I think change. I think change is hard because change feels like damage most of the time. I mean, you know, whether or not you we intend to be in a largely managerial position. That's how we treat most stuff. I mean, my daughter treats her friends like she's a manager. Like she's already bossing everybody around, which is awesome. I happen she to like that. She sends out the, uh, the calendar and dates, invites for the she, she does with no agenda. No, no, but she'll freely we'll be walking out at, at school and she'll say to somebody, is this where you're supposed to be? <laughs> this is only for active pickups and drop-offs. <clears throat> she's eight. Um, but I, that, that's one big problem with any kind of change is that there's the kind of change we think we want, 
which is, you know, usually a thing we've read about in in-flight magazine or heard about from other people or heard from a thought leader. It's like it's very difficult to stay vulnerable and open enough for a change to come along that is actually that's able to take root and be something interesting because we're so naturally suspicious of change and newness for good reasons. I mean, that's like that's a biological thing, right? We, that, this food does not poison me. I will keep eating this food. Like that's totally normal. It's just that as your organ, organization grows and gets more branches, I think that's really difficult. It's it's hard to know. And then so what do you do? You go you go like have a retreat somewhere and everybody climbs ropes and shit. Like how does that help anybody? It's like it's either in the bones of the organization or it's not. And it kind of seems like it is with you guys. Well, I think at least um, I think at least it's it's been beneficial to us that like we don't think of ourselves as a startup. Like we don't, we're not obsessed with. We we've never been chasing a lot of that that cultish startup culture kind of stuff. So we we sort of sidestep that. But I think we're in, in an awkward transition now of like we're turning this this thing that was always like uh, I don't know maybe this will last for another six months or whatever, and and we're starting to turn it into like a, a company that uh, hopefully we can all um, be at for a long time. Um, this is like the political aspect of that, of like the better off you are, the, le- the more you like things how they are and the less you want them to change. Right? Like and the less, unless you could even conceive why someone would want it differently. Right. Like if you're a white guy in America, like things are going pretty well, you know, you want to sort of stay the course. And if you're almost any other group in America, you're like, ah, there's a lot of room for improvement here. Um, so I think that's why you see, uh, I think in the last, you know, eight years, there has been a lot of change and for uh, groups, you know, the uh, non, non-white men have seen a lot of uh, socioeconomic and, and political and representational progress in America, and I think that's part of the like the whole Trump phenomenon right now. Is there's a lot of uh, white guys who are like, well, I don't like any of this change. Like, what's this? Where's my parade? What's this doing for me? Yeah, I'm avoiding talking about it. <clears throat> this is this is me. Uh... People have got uh, armbands now. That was the, that's uh, a good sign. Right. Now all we need now is some ch- some chants and tubas. Yeah. Tra- like, trains really, going east. I really did think you, uh, well, I don't know, it could have really, it could have been about anything, but you had a great tweet this week of like, if people, if you're being uh, <laughs> compared to uh, an unfavorable uh, political um, a person from uh, from history. An a grave historical character. Yeah, historical character that you don't like. Perhaps consider uh, having rather than doubling the behavior that's provoking that comparison. Wow, really good memory. Thank you. That was really funny. I've been reluctant. I've been steering away because I, I know Godwin's Law. Like there's that, Things shut down when you have that conversation. It's just, oh god. It's 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 really these last the last few weeks have gone from I I was sort of on a on a on a, a Trump diet of like very purposely not reading all the Trump shit, not watching the Trump videos, not posting about Trump. Like I was I was really doing exercising all of my self restraint to just not escalate this and take it seriously and you know. Not that I am like a media maker or anything, but doing my small part yeah. to, to not um, deciding where to raise your voice. Yeah, right. And, and just to, and also just like you know, if everyone makes this the conversation, then even if we don't like it, it's what we're talking about. So it's like I don't want to talk about Donald Trump, so I'm going to do my part to not make it the the one thing we're talking about. And like, man, that rally in Chicago and and uh, the, the the sort of ins- the week ensuing have just been like I'm I'm just like it's it's starting to really get. get the thing that's galling to me is I've uh, finally said, okay, I should find out what's going on with this guy. Just better go. <laughs> the part that's galling to me is the taste component, where you get used to hearing his dingling sound bites, which are definitely dingling sound bites. The hard, the hard part is watching him speak for more than three minutes, 
and 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 I, I'm I'm not trying to do that fake surprise thing that nobody likes, but I'm I'm honestly like, are you guys listening to the same thing that I'm listening to? Yeah. He has no idea what he's saying. But that's he's the, just making up words. But that's the George Lakoff thing of when he saw was it Grover Norquist give the speech at the at the Republican convention, you know, ten years ago, or whatever, and he was like, and he was looking around and people were he said the line like, why should the best of us be be taxed and punished the most by taxes? And he was looking around, and he's like, this makes sense to any of you guys, but everyone was applauding, and he's like, I don't get this at all. Like, it, there must be something there. Like, people must hear something in that, that that we're just, it's just not speaking to us. Oh, save for the next episode. My, I, all right, final Trump thing that, that I, oh, I boy. think is really, I'm sorry. It's, How's it going, it's Alex? Related. <laughs> okay. It's about steak? It's the Trump steaks. So there was this whole thing of a few weeks ago, everyone was making fun of Trump for, for his failed, all of his failed businesses, like his like mortgage company that he started like a week before the uh, airline, mortgage company, um, water, he, he, all, he had all this shit on stage in a big pile, like a big pile of steaks. And he was like, look at Trump steaks. Aren't they wonderful? And he, they had very clearly left the supermarket label on the steaks. They were very clearly not Trump steaks because they are not nationally. All this stuff is white labeled. It's just white labeled yeah. other people's stuff. But, but so then someone, a journalist was like, well, these have, you can see in the photos, the grocery store label on these steaks. So they're not Trump steaks. And he's like, any steak that I buy and I'm next to is a Trump steak. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, like, that's, we're, we're all okay with oh. this. Yeah. Oh. He hadn't had time to really research what it what it means. He's not familiar with the idea of stakes. He has yeah. to go read up before he refutes that. Yeah, well, I don't know all the facts on it, so I can't comment on that. Yeah. <sighs> Max, you want to tell me about something you like? Oh boy, yeah, I do. Uh, we should probably do that. Uh, so this uh, episode of the Top Scallops podcast, and every episode of the Top Scallops podcast, is sponsored by our friends at Backblaze. I think they're actually here in the uh, wonderful. City. Well, I don't want to say the city. They're here on the uh, West Coast. They're here uh, somewhere west of Chicago. That would be uh, that would be right. <laughs> Uh, but I, uh, I think they're in this uh, in this uh, vicinity. Uh, Backblaze is the unlimited, unthrottled backup solution for Mac or PC. Look at this, eyes closed. I'm doing it. You're doing it. I know it's great. Look I, at this guy I, go. I, I nailed it. Uh, you can uh, Backblaze just runs in the background. It backs up all your files, and uh, you can uh, uh, use a, their uh, native apps for uh, iOS and Android to get just one file back. Or if your uh, computer uh, 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 really gets screwed up. You can actually order a whole hard drive, and I'll just mail it to you with all your stuff on it. Uh, we spoke to our friend Yev at Backblaze, and I asked him some questions that I forgot what they were because it was uh, uh, quite a while ago that we had our conversation. But uh, I think we will uh, have him on for a quick Q&A. A feature that I just became aware of because you told me that it exists is that Backblaze has a Find My Computer feature. How, how, can you tell me a little bit about that? How does that work? Yeah, um, it's just uh, so because Backblaze is an application that lives on your computer. Anytime your computer sees um, like a Wi-Fi signal or something, uh, Backblaze you know knows about it, right? Because we're constantly communicating with our data center. So the locate my computer feature, basically, it's very very um, rudimentary in that it looks at your uh, wireless access points surrounding you, um, and then we can give you a little map of like roundabouts where your data or like where your computer is. Um, so it'll be a little uh, little map uh, that you can zoom in and out of. We won't give you an actual uh, address because we don't want vigilantes, uh, but it'll give you in a, like it'll give you the last known IP address that it connected from, and it'll give you the general area. So if you accidentally leave your computer somewhere and it gets and it's connected to um, to a Wi-Fi network, you'll be able to say like, oh, I, I lost it at like this Phil's Coffee or something. Um, have, have you guys but, had any, any any crazy stories of people recovering their computers with this? Yeah, um, the craziest uh, story we wrote, we actually blogged about 
Um, it, it was uh, a guy that was on vacation, I believe, in Argentina, or maybe it was like a business trip or something. But he was from New York, and he had backblaze installed in his computer. He was in Argentina, and his computer got stolen. So he comes back to New York, um, uses backblaze to see like what, like whereabouts it is, and then contacts the Argentinian police, and he's like, "Hey, I have this address." Uh, or not this address, but like I have this, you know, general area, like I have this neighborhood where I know my computer is and I have this IP address uh, where it last connected to us from. Uh, can you contact the ISP that owns the IP address and can you get us back? Can you get me back my computer? Um, and so the Argentinian police were like, sure, uh, we'll give it a shot. So they thought that Backblaze was actually like a computer location tool uh, where it isn't. It's just like a side benefit. But in in all the articles that were written about in Argentina about this, they always referred to us as like a like a, a computer location app, uh, which made me laugh, but was super inaccurate. But the uh, so they they contacted the ISP. They used the they used the rudimentary map to kind of uh, pinpoint using the IP, the map, and the ISP's information where uh, the computer was being held and accessed from. And they went in and uh, ended up busting a Somali gang with like of over a hundred or one million counterfeit U.S. bills, uh, the computer and like a bunch of other stuff. So they the guy ended up getting his computer back, and the police ended up making like a huge, <laughs> a huge bust <laughs> on this on this crime ring. It was written about in Argentinian papers, and then he he sent us anonymously. Uh, of course, uh, the uh, the little news clippings. It was it, that one was really wild. That's amazing. Did yeah. You, there, did, you, there's... did you ever think five years ago when you started working for this company that you would wind up building something that would bust like a Somali pirate gang? Uh, no, because I wasn't I wasn't working for like the CIA or anything. But uh, yeah, it was definitely like a really weird thing. Another time someone's like truck got stolen in Detroit uh, or his computer got stolen uh, from his truck in Detroit or something. And then he ended up looking at Craigslist to find pictures of the of the truck and then like geolocated it using the Backblaze data and the ISP with the police department. Like there's there's been crazy, crazy stories that came out of that one feature. And, and that's the funny part because it's just like it's it's not even what we do. It's just this little side benefit that we decided to build into the app because every now and again people – would contact us and they're like, hey, my computer got stolen. Um, I know you guys have the IP address. Can you tell me the IP address so we can give it to the police? And we were like, sure. And so we just decided to build a little feature around it. And it's so far been entertaining. Okay, our thanks to Backblaze for sponsoring Top Scallops. And for listeners of the Top Scallops podcast, you can get a free trial of Backblaze at backblaze.com slash scallops. Is that right? Yeah, slash scallops. Blackblaze.com slash scallops. Thanks, Blackblaze. <laughs> I'm opening a seltzer. Bok bok. Now this is a whole brand of. We don't have this in Chicago. Refreshe. This is a safe. This is a Safeway brand. Yeah. I've never seen this before. Mm. I'm try it out. I'm gonna see how the bubble size is. All right. Yeah, it's it's not too bad. I we have the uh, the Lacroix. Oh, Lacroix. That's like isn't that the the new hipster? That's like the PBR of water. Yeah. Okay. It's really good. Great flavors. Flavors are very good. This is uh, water flavored. Hmm. That's a mouthfeel. It's good. It's big bubbles. I like a big bubble. Does it drink bubbly? Mm-hmm. Hmm. Yeah, it drinks a little bubbly. <sighs> good. Alex, do you enjoy mouth noise? Oh, for sure. You seem like somebody who would be bothered by chewing. No, no, not really, actually. Not at all. 
No, I mean, well, I should, I should, I should cook back some of this in that ramen. No, 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 I'm not going to eat. I, I got to eat something after a while, but, oh, God. All right, so. All right, so let's see. So uh, in the, this first challenge that drags out to, uh, I think, just over half the episode. Yeah. They're cooking for, uh, like, 150 people <clears throat> based on their stupid playing card gimmick. Marge, oh, they have to pick off uh, their who their sous chef is. So Marjorie gets Karen, probably a good pick for Marjorie. They've worked together and done well in the past. Isaac picks Carl. Um, that was probably a weird choice, but I think they've won together in the past, too. Jeremy takes Kwame, and then he's, like, in his, like, cutaway to his, like, uh, heads-up interview. Jeremy's, like, uh, I don't know why these idiots didn't pick Kwame. He's, like, the best chef this season, um, which I was thinking, too. I was like, why didn't the first person pick Kwame? And then, uh, of course, the last person uh, has stuck with uh, dealing with Philip, so Omar gets Philip, and uh, they're the uh, team peasant. Right. So going into this, I was like, boy, Omar really has all the disadvantages, right? He's got. You might even say that the deck is stacked against him, Max. Uh, <laughs> Donald Trump. Boy, I'm uh, angry all over again. <laughs> uh, Marjorie makes a uh, like a salmon thing. Isaac makes a cod thing. Jeremy makes oh yeah that poke oh grapes thing oh boy they they freaked over the grapes everyone loved the grapes did they get mad about grapes earlier in the season because they were too hot maybe uh, I know uh, you know what's curious about that was Kwame at one point turned to Jeremy and he was like are you tasting this you know because I think Kwame too is a little skeptical of the grape and uh, chicken combination and Jeremy was like I'm tasting it with my mind like oh conceptually decided to taste good stand like, school kids yeah and I was like this is the poaching, poaching was a bold choice. Uh, butter, yes, yeah, zucchini, very, very, very brave, very, very uh, out group. Uh, Isaac, uh, caramelized fennel, always with the fennel. But I thought it was a pretty good, pretty good showing. Now they weren't crazy about his cod. Is that right? Yeah, Isaac made the cod, and uh, he and uh, I remember Padma. He must have made his stupid joke about being an atheist to the judges when they came to the table, and then Padma said to him well may, may the lord be with you at judge's table <laughs> <laughs> and also with you yeah. Yeah. which i thought was like a little like uh bless your heart like it was a little like it was that great, uh, that great condescending bless like, your heart great. it was a great pen. bless your heart is how ladies in florida say you're, you're so screwed oh bless your heart yeah oh you really are a problem bless your heart uh so let's see uh Meyer lemon puree big hit uh, so let's see, Marjorie was on the bottom and she said, I think she said that having all the choices made things difficult for her. Uh, the top was probably Amar who, uh, he just did like a very simple chicken liver and onions dish. Looked looked really good. Also, why was everyone down on chicken livers? Chicken livers are good. I love chicken livers. Do people not like chicken livers? Some people don't like chicken livers, but I think food lovers, you know, you don't run into chicken livers like you used to. When I was a kid, time was, time was, because now I'm Morgan Freeman, you, you, would, you, would have, uh, you would have chicken livers, like fried chicken livers, or you could even just get the, the cow liver and onion. You don't, you don't see that anymore. I, well, it's a big part of Jewish food, so I oh. grew up having a lot of like, liver oh. and organ meat. That is, a, that is a taste sensation. So you get, the best thing is, if you, if you ever get a chance to have this, it's like the fried chicken livers, is called, it's all like, chopped up with onions, it's called ribness. Jewish mm. food, so good. It's good on everything. I'm searching Postmates for chicken livers. <laughs> See if they'll stop and get you a, uh, a hash brown biscuit. Bring me, bring me some McDonald's to my office. Uh, let's see here. Uh, Rick Moonen was the uh, guest judge. Oh boy. 
uh, <laughs> is this Mr. Sustainable Seafood? He's got the Sustainable Seafood. Right there in the right there in the middle of Nevada. Landlocked state, yeah. <laughs> oh. Uh, Rick Moonen uh, picked uh, Jeremy as the winner. And at that point in my notes, I just wrote down, he is, Jeremy is Donald Trump. He is Trump. He's <laughs> winning everything inexplicable. But he's going to be winning so much, he's going to get sick of it with all the winning. I know. It's wonderful. Wonderful. Uh, 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 he's got some wonderful food, and uh, he's going to make uh, a wonderful deal with the judges. It is very interesting that he has come up so big and so prominently. It, yeah. It's kind of weird. You know what, people, I think it might have been his comment, but you know what people always say when they start to do well in Top Chef is they always have that thing of like, Oh, well, uh, it's like a marathon. It's like you want to pace yourself and then pull ahead at the end. And I'm always at home when I'm watching that. I'm like, really? You don't want to win all of them from the beginning if you're capable? Like, you'd think that pretty much you would just cook as good as you can the whole time. Yeah, it seems so. And, like, there's, there's another – there's a kind of thing that happens where – I mean, I can just say I, as a viewer, am frequently surprised when we get to the point of, like, oh, gosh, this season's almost over with. That went fast. Yeah. And I feel like there are contestants who have – that make it even to the last, say, six – six or eight who've never won. Yeah. And it's like, well, at what point are you going to start winning these things? Cause you, in the end, or you're going to need to win this. You don't get that much extra credit for being here. What favors, it favors the, the top and the middle, the way these, there's the structure of these games, right? You always have the hangers on hmm. the sort of boring hangers on. Um, and then it's always even more upsetting when someone like Kwame goes home because Kwame's not in the middle, right? He's at the top and, and, you know, cooks poorly. Once. I think he wanted out. I really do. Yeah. He may, he may have been a little uh, checked out. Uh, so let's see. Uh, so at that then point, down, then like, well, now we're going to go to the elimination challenge. And I wrote down like, wait, that was only the quick fire, like that whole thing. But, uh, cause they had a whole judges table and everything. Yeah. Whole nine. So they send Jeremy to through to the finale and he's going to, he's going to go soak in a tub. Yeah. That's his whole schedule of uh, how he's going to be in the hot tub. And, uh, then they're like the rest of you are going to go send to do, we're going to bring out special guest judge, David Copperfield. And we're going to send you out to see David Copperfield and then make a sort of pre- a presentation dish to us inspired by david copperfield oh my god and david copperfield comes out and goes you know i do with magic what you do with cuisine which is inspire people that makes me think he doesn't understand magic or food (laughs) you're gonna really it's the finale of top chef and you want them to be inspired by a las vegas magic show yeah not a good one not pat and teller right like they at least have like a lot of food but they they did it was so flimsy they didn't even try it's like somebody say we want you to go and be inspired by this roman architecture the fine lines like that's one thing to go like okay but like seriously all i could i couldn't get job out of my mind all i could see arrested development (laughs) (laughs) tricks are for whores Tricks of the Lord does for money or candy. <laughs> I but when he but him jumping around in his little in his little on stage sarcophagus and it was just it was so Ah, I hate magic. It's usually a trick. Mm-hmm. That's the thing. Yeah. But a lot of that stuff's not real. I know. Uh, and and the things that it was interesting how they shot the David Copperfield show and what they showed. It and was they showed ugh. all of him doing tricks, and they showed all of him dan- prancing around the stage like, <laughs> like Joe. With a knife in, his mouth, in the car, going off, and like, <laughs> like very, very dramatically lowering himself into the the coffin. There was there was a lot of capering around. <laughs> It wasn't very dignified. It's like it's like one of those kinds of videos. Like it's magic without the magic. Like what? What if you just did a supercut of all David Copperfield doing stuff that wasn't the trick? But that's kind of what we saw last night. Cause I think yep. there, I think there's only so many tricks he does, and they didn't want to show them in the show. 
because yeah, magic. It's not as good when you go see it. It's yeah. an illusion. So <laughs> yeah, it's a lot of him, you know, showboating, show <laughs> like hot <laughs> Yeah, it was pretty inspirational. So they're supposed to go and not see. <sighs> and here we go with another one of these on the nose challenges. Yeah, so, very very literal. So it's like, well, now you're gonna have to do food that has. Uh, an illusion in it somehow. And did they specifically say that there needs to be a performance component? Well, I I was surprised when they started rolling out the carts and having to do like a like a TV performance for the judges. Um, but uh, I, uh, I I mean, I guess it makes sense. Well, some of the notes that they were giving to them was like, you know, oh Marjorie, I could tell you were communicating with us the whole time, and da 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 da. Right, and I was like, well, when did they establish that you had to be doing that? I know. Some of them came out, and in fact, Amar, who won didn't say anything the whole time he was preparing his dish. He was just making his food quietly and then served a good dish and he won. So, Oh, and Isaac, Isaac came out and really sold it with his cup of egg and his uh, chicken steak. Yeah. And like, it was just like, I don't know. The whole, the whole thing was a little, it's not the best work. Haven't they done a top chef challenge before? Maybe it was like a master, a top chef master challenge, where they had to go on like good morning America and do, and show some, Oh, they do a demonstration, a a food demo. Yeah. I know they have. Go ahead. That was the uh, Vegas season because Carla or uh, who, who do you who lady? Uh, because then she had a recurring segment on that show. Yeah, so they have done this, and I didn't find it objectionable in the past. It was just this particular execution. Well, again, though, it's a hat on a hat. I mean, it's so. So here's the thing. I mean, this could be three different challenges. One challenge I have seen before is okay. This is a tricky switch them up challenge where you got to make a food like another food or you got to do like a Thomas Keller like joke title for it or something like that. That's one kind of thing. Another thing that's supposed to be a performance. Another thing is like getting your inspiration from a goddamn magic show in Las Vegas. It was just it was just too much too much. Too many hats on hats. Yeah, and all the food was very Vegasy too, like in the presentation the way they did it. It was very a little bit old fashioned, very high presentation, like very 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 classically fine dining sort of food. So Marjorie, for example, made duck a la orange and uh, tried to liquid nitrogen some of the orange. Oh, no. Burned her tongue on liquid nitrogen. This is why, like, I, I enjoy, like, a, like a, if I ever go to a fancy, re- you know, like, uh, uh, molecular gastronomy restaurant, and they have a liquid nitrogen thing, like, I'll eat it, I'm happy to have it, and it's, it's usually, like, you can do really fun and interesting things. Not interested in cooking with it. Like, I know if I had it in my house, I, I would be... Like, there was that story of the, the one girl who, like, drank a, a, a liquid nitrogen shot in a bar, and it, like, she had to have her stomach removed. Oh, my so God. Her, her <gasps> stomach. Yeah, it's really da- incredibly dangerous. Isn't it? We've, we've talked about this before, but isn't it weird that, like, you know, as with the whole, what was it, what was your skill you're going to learn? How to use a, a pressure cooker? Yes. That's going to be your prison skill is, like, yeah. learn to use the pressure cooker. Yeah. How many people I hear said, I've never done anything with this before. I'll try it on the program. Right. It's like she did not seem comfortable doing that. Yeah. And then she uh, she made goofy oranges. Yeah, and, and you know, it's like, I, I know some people come into Top Shop, like Richard Blake. So I, I remember, I think it was in season 10, Rich, when Richard when it was Top Chef Masters and Richard Blaze was, was back the second time and he wound up winning. Right. I remember all of the chefs got to bring one, in addition to their knives, they got to bring one special thing that wasn't part of the Top Chef kitchen that they could use. And I, ah, no, no, I'm thinking of something else. So in that case, I was going to say Richard Blaze brought liquid nitrogen and knew how to use it. No, they had that. They have nitrogen in the Top Chef kitchen, and Richard Blaze came in and knew how to use it. You know what Richard Blaze brought that I will never forget is he brought a roll of fluorescent tape. That was his extra thing. What? That Because he knew they would have to do some sort of catering challenge, and he used the fluorescent tape to mark his equipment in the catering challenge so that when everyone else oh, went yeah. scrambling. 
his were taped with a special color. Oh my and god! I like, and I was like, that guy's a fucking pro. Oh, it's so, so smart. Yeah, it was very very smart. So uh, I thought that was like everyone else brought a special ingredient to cook with, and he brought the tape. I thought that was incredibly smart. But anyhow, yeah, some people do come in and they know how to use the liquid nitrogen, and you know, I just I don't know. Hope, Hat on a hat on a hat. So something where you could really physically injure yourself. They'd like have someone. On yeah. Show you. I don't know. Anyway, uh, Isaac did his uh, chicken uh, skin and here. Oh, buddy, I would eat that. I would eat that. I've had an idea for a chain restaurant. Uh, just well, first of all, like uh, I've had an idea for a chain restaurant based on things you dip. <laughs> And it would just be basically different kinds of sauce. I think it's called like JJ Dipping Tins or something like that. And it's, it's, it's a chain restaurant. The Big Dipper, uh, Dip Me Knots. But you come in and you – my other idea is a chicken skin restaurant. I want to have a restaurant that's based around chicken skins. So you can get just a platter of chicken skins. I, I don't even want to think about what this does to the chicken population. But I also like the idea you can get chicken stuffers. And so you pick a skin. We prepare the skin the way you want. And then we put different stuff in. You get a skin full of blue cheese. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Look how refreshing that would be. You're about to take a long flight. You get a chicken stuffer. Yeah. Yeah. You get a cheese, cheese chicken. Yeah, I'm thinking of how they'd have to. I bet they could genetically and you know engineer some sort of flabby chicken. Yeah, 75% extra skin. Like a chicken that's had that that, that GI surgery where you get a little bit extra. So first you get the chicken really, really like morbidly obese. You get it a rascal. You have it slimmed down. Uh-huh. Then you have a harvest. <laughs> My tributes. Bok, bok. Oh boy. I don't know. I thought that was pretty good. He did the the egg trick. Yeah, he put the little shot glass upside down on the plate. I don't know. I, yeah. I, then he did his little magic trick in his presentation <clears throat> where he, like, threw the egg at Padma and she Ugh, and, No, thanks. And it was, like, a little bit, like, I don't know. It was a little awkward. And then uh, at the end, you have Amar. Amar does absolutely no presentation. I mean, he comes out and cooks his dish and puts it in front of the judges. And he was like, here it is. His one trick was he had the potato onion ring. Right. And, and well. But he, but he didn't have, like, a bit. A Balsamic, mole sauce, potato, onion, ring. I don't know. Oh, it was the thing that looked like whipped cream, but it wasn't whipped cream. It was, it was a savory thing. Oh, right, exactly. So he had a couple of little tricks in there, but the tricks were in the food. The other thing that was funny was he served it in what appeared to be Tibetan singing bowls. <laughs> uh, so I don't know where those came from, but uh, I've never been served food in a... Uh, Wait, poor Marjorie. I'm starting to think it might almost be time to add duck to the big list. Of cursed foods. Not as bad as desserts and breads, but like, boy, duck seems to be getting in people's way a lot lately. Yeah, there was um, what was? Oh, oh there was the uh, he made his uh, cannon of ducks. What was it called? The etouffee? What's it called? Yeah. Cannon, cannon, cannon What's it called? Uh, ba- ba- ballantine. Ballantine. Yeah, the ballast. Duck ballast. Duck ballast. Uh, you take seven ducks and you put them on a boat. Yeah, where you like wrap the skin up. Right, and you can't you can't hear when they quack. There's an echo. No echo. Yeah, duck is duck is up there, and then uh, certainly um, I think after this season the uh, crudo. Uh, no more, no more. Crudo. <laughs> um, so let's see. Uh, all of the contestants got uh, positive feedback. They, the judges liked all of the three dishes, mm-hmm. uh, but. Uh, Amar winds up winning. He has the best dish of the three, even though he didn't appear to follow the parameters of the contest uh, strictly. Uh, they had a nice uh, speech from uh, Isaac and Marjorie, and they both said how great it is to lose and what a, what a, how it made them better to lose. and how. That's the classiest Amar. part of the season. There's been a lot of good goodbye speeches. A lot of good goodbye speeches. Excluding, you know. It's a, little cliche. it's a little bit of a cliche of like, no, yes. I wanted to lose. Like, but boy, if you, if you want to be remembered well for that show. You know, don't don't be whiny. Don't go off like uh, Jen, uh, yelling about your dad. Oh, Jen. Oh. 
Uh, and then uh, Amar says, uh, well, it's not, he's not winning for him. He's winning for uh, Jerry Hayden, who recently passed away from uh, ALS. Yeah. Uh, so that was uh, all my notes. That was my notes. Yeah. Um, uh, let's see. I didn't write any. I literally did not take any notes. About that. I just I hate to keep bringing this up, but I just I like the challenges. So there's been some seasons where they get down to the end. and It's been a really good season. Maybe there's one in Hawaii, I feel like, one time where they were like, okay, here's the last challenge. Go and make us your best dish. Mm-hmm. Like, I guess that's not interesting. There's no joke. There's no, like, confetti falling from the ceiling or something like that. But I don't know. I just feel like when you've got too much twisty-turny stuff, there's not much chance to, like, really accelerate it doing, I don't know. It might, might be weird and old-fashioned. No, my, in fact, the, the one that stands out to me the most, if it was also season 10, was, like, I think it was the right before the finale, the, the final challenge was... All of the contestants met with one of those, like, you know, I think it was like one of those, like, uh, 23andMe things where they did the genetic test. Oh, right. They said, here's your family's heritage. Here's where you're from. And now, and then their assignment was make any dish that connects you to your heritage. So it was like some people got a surprise and they realized that their heritage was like, oh, wow, I didn't realize that my family was from this part of Italy and they could cook something based on that. Um, and I think two of the contestants, uh, is Mike Isabella and, um, Antonia realized they were related distantly, which was also pretty funny. Oh, I remember that, yeah. And then all the contestants made this really great sort of soulful food that connected them to their roots. And then when they came out to serve, all their families were in the it, it, in attendance at the dinner. Great, emotional. and It's a bit, it's a bit, but you don't have to make up a story right. in order for it to seem it, it important. Had the, it had all the surprise and it felt... It felt really big and important and fitting of the finale and kind of like cinematic in its, in its like scope. But there wasn't a gimmick that made me mad of like, please just let these people do their job and like cook good food. Right. Yeah. <sighs> Alex, I feel like you've got some pent up energy on this. What do you think? I I keep I'm trying to find uh, I'm on IMDb right now. Definitely paying attention to you guys. Don't worry. Um, looking, trying to find the producers. Like they have, you know, the magical elves as. Uh, the production company, but like there are no names attached other than the cast, and it there, something went wrong this season. It it felt like mm-hmm. the show devolved uh, because I thought I was like maybe it's like the stress of like doing a show and talking to you know internet celebrity Merlin Mann, but I'm watching like past seasons and it's like Max said there are re- really good moments that are they are created, but it's not like fucking throw it in egg at at padma and gail um so i i don't know something weird has happened this season felt very gimmicky to me very road trippy to me i think one of the reasons might be well i think top chef i think the ratings are are declining i think the ratings on every tv show on across the board are declining because fewer and fewer people are watching tv and you know, TV studios, weirdly, like, they don't care about downloads. The pie the pie's getting smaller. Yeah, I read, <clears throat> I hope I didn't already tell the story on this podcast, but I read, like, a like a post, like a 10th anniversary, like, oral history of Freaks and Geeks with uh, Paul Feig. And, oh, nice. And that, um, one of the points they brought up was, you know, Freaks and Geeks was a, a, it was a commercial failure. Nobody watched it when it was on the air. That's, like, one of the, the things on everyone's note card about uh, Freaks and Geeks. is like, it didn't do well, and no one saw it when it was first broadcast. And uh, Paul Feig said in this um, like postmortem, he's like, you know, if that was if that show was on the air today and got the ratings it did in like the early 2000s, it would be the most watched show on television. So that's the amount. Wow, wow that's the attrition. That's the audience fall off on TV. That's amazing. Yeah, and like I don't, I don't, I don't have the ability to watch something on TV. Like most 
Alex, do you? Nope. I, uh, I I bought Top Chef this like I don't have Bravo or any cable actually. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, I don't. I, I mean, it only ever comes up for me like during some of these debates where you can't stream them online legally. Uh, yeah, it's it's yeah. We we buy. <clears throat> I bought the whole season at the beginning, like we do with the shows we watch a lot. I'll just buy the whole season. Mm-hmm. But I will frequently find it someplace else faster because it doesn't, you know. Anyway, this is a, a long bitch fest. But, yeah, look at the numbers on this. So that episode was called – oh, shoot. What did I do with it? It's from season eight, Give Me Your Give me your Huddled Masses, the one with they. And so that was 2.48 million viewers. Yeah, I mean it's – I'm given to believe that the cord-cutting thing writ large is not as big as somebody might guess it is, but it's big enough. There's also something like I listen to a show I like a lot that uh, Tim Goodman and Jason Snell do their TV talk machine podcast. You know, they always they always joke about the times of confusion like this is there's so much good TV. There's something like 400 scripted shows somewhere on TV right now. It's all out there. There's just there's so much. This is even setting aside all the time people spend on stuff like social media or like half watching something. But those days of, of appointment viewing are over. And, you know, I, I think more and more like you're going to see I'm wondering with reality shows. Yeah, they're cheaper to make than the other shows. But like. How do you hold somebody's attention for a season with this stuff? Well, I know, <clears throat> I know Dean Herman gave a, a talk that I'm really fond of at, uh, at uh, XOXO uh, years ago. And uh, he talked about the sort of state of the union of TV is that TV is dying, that the industry is dead, that what it used to be was, um, you know, these, these gatekeepers and these people could had control over everything and they used it to make a ton of money. And the format of television made, it was a race to the bottom in terms of mediocrity. So the fact that everything had to be syndicated and everything had to appeal to a mass audience meant that right. really couldn't do anything good or interesting in TV. And the reason was TV, stu- TV studios promote stupidity. Like the stupider you are and the less, well, it's exactly what we're talking about before, the less scared you are, or the more scared you are of making change, right? The more conservative you are and the worse your taste is and the more you can defend that, the higher you'll rise in the organization. And he was very concerned that this was what was going to begin to happen to the Internet as there was like real money, you know, TV money coming into the Internet. But he's like, you know, a lot of people look at the goodness of TV right now and how good TV is. Um, You know, the time Breaking Bad was still on. He's like a lot of people would point to the goodness of Breaking Bad and say, well, my whole argument is not true because look at how good TV is now. But he's like, the thing is, that's the ultimate sign that TV is dying. Because those networks are so desperate, they'll do anything for people to watch, including making good shows. <laughs> right. The last thing they have to do, literally the last gasp that they have is to try and make a good show. It's a lot of work. It's so and, and a it's lot of money. Bad show. But he's like, he's like uh, Breaking Bad, it, the goodness of Breaking Bad is television's death hallucination. Huh. Yeah. That That's pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the... Hmm. It's interesting, again, talking about this podcast, I was just listening from the other day, talking about the CW and talking about how, you know, it's kind of weird to be in this awkward position of saying, like, our network's not making money, but our shows are. Like, there's some shows that do very well. It's just, you know, even today to say something like CBS, like, what does that mean when we say CBS? You think about all the shows that are making things for other networks, all these independent productions that are pitching to whomever, before we even get into, like, what's happening with streaming. I don't know. I'm not sure. Remember a few years ago? I mean, this was less than five years ago. NBC, you could turn on, there was one night of NBC where you had The Office, Parks and Rec, Community, and what am I forgetting? What was the final? It's probably the third, third, that's usually their Thursday night lineup, right? Yeah, what yeah. else? Forgetting. <laughs> this is going to drive me insane. You had one other incredible comedy. Uh, the Office, Parks and Rec, Community. Oh, um, 
30 Rock, all on one night. Can you believe that? On one night of television? Yeah. And, a, and I think NBC was eating it. I don't think anybody watched NBC Thursday nights. I think that was considered, financially for them, that was considered, maybe other than The Office, that was considered a, a, a low point in the financial success. Thursday's always been their big night, though. The, NBC comedy on Thursday is a... Is a like an institution. Like a whole thing. Yeah. And I think that was considered a failed era for them, even though the fact that you could watch all of you could watch two hours of mainstream. To be able to see The Office, 30 Rock, and Parks and Rec on the same night is, is amazing. Yeah, I, it was unbelievable. And I think all you know, all of the shows were, were flops for them in the sense of like attracting a mainstream audience. Well, and, and the thing is, you could, that was still the, especially <clears throat> like around the time that Parks and, Rec's, uh, Parks and Rec was starting to get good, you could just watch all of those the next morning on Hulu. And there'd be less commercials. Ah, is that is that right? Yeah. Hulu's been around that long. Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, for for some networks, Hulu's been around that long. So right. NBC was like the foundational. They like made Hulu their show. Right. Um. Yeah, I don't know. I um. It does make me worried about like what's the future of Top Chef. I hope I hope this wasn't one of those like, hey, you know, the network going, okay, like, hey, shake it up. Like, let's see if you can make it a little more like juicy, a little more like dramatic. <sighs> You know, make it a little more gamey and see if we can get a new audience. Well, you know, when um, I think I told you, we, we've had a, a funny dalliance with reality shows in the last year or so because my kid enjoys, you know, we watch Top Chef, we watch Top Dress, we've, we watch uh, Shark Tank, uh, we've watched some of the Gordon Ramsay like makeover shows. But the other night, Shark Tank ended on Hulu and it started playing uh, Kitchen Nightmares. Mm-hmm. Is that what it is? No, Hell's Kitchen. Mm-hmm. Hell's Kitchen. Kitchen Nightmares is the one we've been watching, but I'd never seen Hell's Kitchen before. Oh, my God. Have you ever seen it? It's really, really over the top. So imagine like a top chef with Gordon Ramsay, but you get these two teams. There's tons of competition. In, the, in their version of what we think of the quickfire challenge, one team wins, one team loses. The team that wins gets, gets to go do something fun. The team that loses has to do something humiliating. And, I've, you know, Ramsay's a pretty on his persona is he's a very angry, easily frustrated guy. He just screams the entire show. He's screaming the F word at everybody. He throws people off whenever it suits him. He's like, take off, take that off and get out. Get the fuck out of here right now. It's, I, I can't watch it. It's, it makes me so agitated. So, but again, that's why we like I Top Chef. You really need to watch the kids, the, uh, the Gordon Ramsay uh, children's uh, cooking show. It's so good. <laughs> it was, uh, one of my favorite things was this season. Someone like spilled a, a pan of food on his shoe. And the restraint that he had, I mean, his veins were going and his, like, he was, like, grinding his teeth. But he was not yelling at these kids. He's very nice to the kids. It's very fun to watch. Yeah, I think some of it's definitely a put on. But, yeah. but no, I guess all I'm trying to say is that, like, for a long time, you know, it's been easy for me to be snooty about Top Dress and Top Chef because I think they are really different. Our, our, our friend, uh, visiting guy episode max Max. which one are you no the guy the guy from uh uh, nick Nick. Nick. like he likes chopped yeah chopped is a stunt show to me what when i make a joke i made some jokes uh chopped what do you what how's it go alex you got three ingredients you gotta make them and then there's there's some stunt parts to it too right yeah i've only seen it a couple times but it's more game showy yeah it's a little but it's a little bit more with tricks and stuff like that too and it's, it's, it can be fun. It's fun to watch in a hotel room if there's nothing else on. But like that's what distinguished this show is that like it really kind of has been, yeah, there's drama. It's a reality show. But that it has been about the food. And I don't know. I hope they don't lose that. You know, uh, this is, uh, I don't know. I, I, well, I'm into, my new thing is the great British baking show, The Bake Off. It's delightful. Oh, I love it. That's my new thing. So um, uh, Veronica's uh, dragging me into that, and I, I'm really enjoying it. I have a new, I have a non-cooking show I'm getting really into, um, which is, uh, it's on the CW, the 100, you guys heard of this? 
It's like it's like yeah. the I wrote it off. It was a it's a sci-fi show. I wrote it off immediately because it's like, uh, you know, it's like attractive CW teenagers, like like post-apocalyptic, like stranded on Earth. But uh, my friend uh, Javier uh, Grio Markswatch, who was a he's a very 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 good screenwriter. I think we've talked about him before. Yeah, he's a showrunner guy, right? He wrote that wrote rules, that piece. Like writer, yeah, right. Uh, the ten ten law ten commandments of like right the writer's room or whatever. He was a writer on Lost, so I met him through the the Lost podcast, and he joined the cast of this, and and uh, I was because I follow him on stuff. I'm starting to see some of the like buzz around the show, but it's like, I think, the, I think the one, I hope our, our, this doesn't, isn't wrong, but I think it's like an extremely popular show for youths. Like I think the kids are, I think kids are really into the 100 in the same way that like our friends are into like Game of Thrones. Or mm-hmm. Like they're dissecting and taking it apart. And I know it, uh, it has a notoriously horrible pilot and like opening sequence of episodes and then it starts to get good quickly. So this is what I watched a lot of this while I was uh, stuck at the airport yesterday and, and I'm really enjoying it. It's very good. Have you seen it, Alex? I haven't. I've been getting into this new program. You might have heard of it called The West Wing. Uh, and yeah, oh, right. we never talked about West Wing. Well, it you sounds went, like it's you you're finding California. it very moving. You're finding it very moving. <laughs> it's it's it, ma- good. it makes you cry. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I did. I tweeted about. It. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've I've slowly accepted uh, that Aaron Sorkin is my favorite screenwriter, and I'm supposed to be, you know, the queer feminist, but he's I just love it so much. He's so good. When he's good, he's really good. Yeah. But uh, have you noticed that the West Wing is the only one of the shows with competent women? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and also, he didn't write those episodes. Yeah, he well, did. He did. He uh, there's out. he was on like mushrooms and coke and. Turning in pages like five minutes before they shot. I mean, those those were the good old days of the West Wing. Mushrooms and coke. Yeah, then he got busted trying to take mushrooms to the airport. What? Are you being serious? Pretty sure. <gasps> yeah, and it was all downhill from there. Oh man. That's when uh, that's when um, Rob Lowe left. Around when Rob Lowe left. Oh, Rob Lowe. Whoa, Rob, Rob Lowe was on there. Yeah. Mushroom, uh, I've seen it. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of walking around and talking. It's so good. Oh, I'm so mad right now. All I see is all I see is all scaffolding, no building. All scaffolding, no building. Interesting. You know, you felt like it wasn't. It's fine. It's fine. No, I'll give it another try. If Alex likes it, I'll try it again. I I think that the first two seasons of West Wing are the best, some of the best TV that's ever been made. And that's got uh, what's his name? Martin is Martin Sheen on there. Martin Sheen's the president. Oh, Oh, you got Bradley Bradley Cooper, Bradley Whitford, Bradley Whitford. Yep, yep, yep. Uh. Yeah, now Alex, who are you on the West Wing? Oh, you got Mary Jameson from uh, The Leftovers is on there. Who? Never, you guys aren't watching Leftovers? It's Mary it's Jameson. queued up. I'm, okay, I'm gonna all right. Show sure, 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 Mary Jameson. Okay, I know her name. Alexa, okay. who is Mary Jameson? Sorry, I didn't understand the question. Cool. Uh, we'll get it. We'll get it. Uh... I I'm having a problem with my Alexa because Mel will go, "Hey, Alex," and then the Alexa oh, will no. go. <laughs> Okay, I, so we have an Alexa. I use it for it's in the kitchen. I use it for cooking timers, and we order trash bags on it. Oh wow, Donna's on Alexa. It. Alexa, stop! Alexa, stop! Alexa, stop! <laughs> oh my god! Oh my god! Oh my god! It won't stop. Alexa, stop! Oh my god! Oh yeah, probably. Yeah, I buy lots of trash. What's your NPR station here? KQ- yeah, KQED. Go you know, ahead. You can do that? Oh, yeah. Oh, we do that a lot. We oh, I do it all the time. Alexa. Alexa, play the latest episode of Fresh Air. Getting the latest episode of Fresh Air. Well, that's cool. I didn't know you could use programs. That's really cool. 
Alexa, stop. Alexa, stop. Alexa, stop. <laughs> Alexa, who is Janelle Maloney? Jeez, way to fucking phone it in, Alexa. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Donna. Donna Moss. Donna Moss. Yeah, she's amazing. Uh, anyway, West Wing is very good. I don't know. I think it this the, is all gold. Leave all this in, uh, Alex. I think, it has the, uh, I think West Wing has like the best pilot almost of any show. Too. Oh, yeah, really? Very good pilot. Just like killer pilot. I love a good pilot. Good pilot. Uh, we we got to say something about the end of this show. I know what I was gonna say. So we have okay. So so we've been we've set the Alexa up since we uh, the thing is up since we talked about it on this program, and the other day, uh, Henry was over, and Henry is in charge of all the coffee grinding equipment in our office. We have like a a tragedy of errors playing out with uh, our coffee grinders, uh, uh, where that we keep buying new, more increasingly more expensive ones, and they keep breaking. There should be a name for that. It's really bad. It's like I don't really know what there must someone. Please write us in. Please email me if you know what coffee grinder we should buy. But anyway, Henry was over. Are you using a burr grinder? I have Henry does all. Yeah, we are. We but it's a big one. Like we need like a coffee shop caliber. Wow. Grinder because it keeps breaking. So I've literally never Googled this in my life. Henry does all the work on the coffee grinders. But we was over at my place the other day, and he was. We were just talking about what grinder to get in the kitchen, and we were mentioning all the names of the models. And then all of a sudden, I started seeing Google ads for the grinders that we were talking about. That does not surprise me, because I still see underwear ads, having bought underwear on the internet. I will tell you. What I'm saying is, I didn't buy that. I never. Oh. Let's see if I got those purple panties ever. I don't think they ever showed up. Oh. Let's see here: dildos, German dungeon porn. I know there's a way to you can put uh, move stuff from Alexa to your uh, uh, iPhone uh, to do list. Yes, your, your you could do add a reminder to it, but you can't. You can also reorder things. Oh, that's good. That's what you just did. I think you just reordered trash bags. Did I? Um, that's why it's good in the kitchen, though, because that's where you run out of like tinfoil, and you're like, I'm like <laughs> I need a new tinfoil hat. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I think they're gonna have to. I gotta tell you, technology is such an interesting topic. I think they're gonna have to come up with something. There's, there was at least one high-profile thing in the last couple of weeks, I think on NPR, mm -hmm. which I can stream from my Echo. But uh, yeah, about people being able to yell stuff. Mm -hmm. And that's, they're going to, I don't know. There's going to have to be okay. something so about that. My favorite that. Google Glass thing is you can always go up to someone wearing Google Glass and go, okay, Google, Google Goatse. Oh, no. Do it. Oh, no. Really? Oh, no. Yeah. Literally can't unsee. Yeah. Alexa, order more trash bags. This stuff is, I mean, this is really the future. This is the way of the future right here. <laughs> Alexa, order more dish towels. Alexa, shut up. No offense. Alexa, open the pod bay doors. I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. Oh! Well, yay! Oh, You'll be really happy. That's pretty good. Alexa, should I have liked the movie Moon more? <laughs> yeah, neither can I. <laughs> I'm gonna start. To thank you. Hey, Max, it's the bell. Uh, I'm gonna. I'm gonna start doing reviews of the first half and the second half of movies. I think, or the first two thirds and the last third. Oh, uh, put the stripes on there. 
Oh, don't just leave it all off. Leave it all off. Yeah, yeah. I feel like the last third of movies, the third oh, act. The first half of Stripes is hilarious. I love that. Before they go to war? No, 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 no. I totally agree. Yeah. That's a classic example, I think. My wife texted me. Isn't that oh, nice? Look at that. Yeah. Right. We bought a Harry Potter dresser. A Harry Potter dresser? A Harry Potter dresser. Yeah, from the school auction. It's uh, it's It's been painted up, and it's got pages from the book inside. Oh, it's cool. really cool. Yes, yeah, so we had that delivered today. Very cool. I had to go home. I had to think on my calendar to go pick up Harry Potter dresser. There you go. It's a good feeling. Anyway, season's almost over. Uh, we got this. We got one more episode, and presumably we've got the reunion. Yeah. I think we should do, you know how we did one episode um, uh, leading up to it? I think we might want to do like a, a post a post Top Chef episode, and I think I'm going to try and hustle up um, someone who's been on Top Chef with that. I think it'd be really fun to. Oh, let's drag this out for as long as we can. Yeah, just keep. Just keep it I mean, the, the sooner the show's over, the better, so we can really, you yeah, know, just, just really have a podcast. Politics, Alexa, yelling about our uh, our uh, different uh, phones, and whether or not we can order garbage cans, and yeah. Yeah, I think that's why people listen. Mm-hmm. Okay, are we uh, are we done? We're done here. Alexa, are we done here? Yeah. Join my wife. My wife. <laughs> Alexa, tell us a broad joke. <laughs> oh, she won't, she won't even. <laughs> um, yeah. Right. Uh, Alexa, say goodbye. This is Top Chef, it's not Top Scallops. <laughs>